Hey everybody, welcome to the Decoding Cocktails podcast, end of the year review. The uh, The podcast is obviously a very new thing at this point in time, but as we got closer to the holidays, uh, throwing a guest up, interview up online, and I'm fortunate to have a couple I'm excited about for you guys, uh, ready to go. But I thought about uh, taking a minute to explore a little gratitude, a few things I've learned this year, what I'm perhaps looking forward to next year. Um is what I kind of wanted to take a few minutes to do today. So uh, the first thing that I think I just always need to say at this point as a uh, uh, fledgling but aspiring business is, you know, just honestly on my own end, learning the importance of getting up every day and kind of being a part of the daily grind. Um, There are certainly some parts of the pandemic where uh, things felt pretty gloomy and thankfully, with plenty of persistence, it feels like I'm starting to break through. And so that's, that's fun. Um, and of course, taking time to decompress from my days as well is proving very, very important. Uh, I also just need to say uh, a quick thank you as well for in realizing the importance of community, um, being just infinitely supported by my brother, my father, my girlfriend, Becca, my friends, Kevin, Yusuf, James, uh, countless other people. Uh, also when you are in business and learning the way, uh, a big thank you, uh, to many mentors. Many of them are in books, people I'm learning from. Uh, I do feel like I always have to give a special shout out to my friend, uh, Tim Wiggins over at Yellow Belly, who answers just countless questions from me. Uh, so, uh, a big thank you to him. And also, um, it's how a lot of businesses start, uh, friends who have, brought me into their business and homes, uh, has given me a chance to really kick the wheels pretty hard on this thing and um, slowly I'm getting business from that. So anyways, first thing at the end of the year is uh, thank you to everybody who's been very supportive. The next thing I want to talk about is, you know, a very common conversation uh, in the wine world thing that I've learned is the really the importance of terroir. And I was just talking about this the other night uh, with Becca that, you know, and uh, this came up in my first interview, actually, which with Demetrius Kane of Nobletons, too, that the further we move away from the land, so to speak, the more something is processed, the more it's commodity driven, typically the more uh, homogenous and sometimes even like less flavorful things are. And so when we think about wine, we think about soil, we think about climate and all these things. And uh, I was reading the book uh, Finding Mezcal by Ron Cooper, and uh, just hearing how much that terroir has to do with how mezcal is ultimately yields is important. And so I think we have to think about that with respect to all of our stuff, with respect to whiskey, uh, a dominant portion of bourbon is all comes from a number two dent corn, which is uh, animal feed corn. That doesn't have to be a bad thing, but you know, why are we using corn we don't deem fit to eat to make whiskey? What would happen if we used other whiskey, uh, other corn instead? So, you know, the importance of the ingredients, the land, how something is cared for ultimately impacts what ends up in our bottle. And so I think that's an important thing that I'm taking away from this year. You know, another thing that is fascinating too is that uh, there are drinks occasionally that uh, challenge my perception of what isn't a noble cocktail? So I think one that I had my assumptions challenged on this year is the Amaretto Sour. 
So this drink probably debated, uh, uh, debuted in the 1970s. And it really kind of began to get reexamined uh, by a handful of bartenders, including Jeffrey Morgenthaler out of Portland. And what to really to think about, you know, we talk about sometimes in our world is uh, like the whiskey sour, for example. That's whiskey, it's lemon, and it's sugar, uh, a lot of times egg white and bitters, but essentially a sour is spirit, sugar, and citrus. And with amaretto sour, it's much lower proof, typically in the 20s as opposed to 40. And a lot of times if you're subjecting a 20% alcohol by volume cocktail to a sweet and sour mix, not even uh, fresh citrus and sugar, you're going to get a very cloying, very sweet cocktail. But as Morgenthaler kind of uh, detailed in his work and other people have played with since, you know, you if you fortify that with a spirit like a whiskey, you know, you make an amaretto sour with whiskey, amaretto, lemon, sugar, maybe some egg white. Now we have a whole other thing in terms of a cocktail that's uh, rich in that nutty flavor. And so, uh, one, uh, my messing around with amaretto sours was actually quite fun, uh, but reminded me that um, cocktails have come a long way, but we still have a long way to go in terms of unlearning uh, what at least many would consider um, bad or sloppy habits uh, in you know the years prior to kind of the early days of the cocktail revolution in the 90s or so. I've also been um, have really enjoyed digging more into the alcohol-free zero-proof world to kind of figure out what is a great stand-in. You know, a lot of times a mocktail, as uh, it's often sometimes also known. I feel like a lot of times it's they're inherently sweet because, well, we don't know what else to, we're not putting alcohol in the drink, and so what else do we have? Well, all we have are these mixes over here. And so that's how we ended up with a lot of the mocktails that we have is we just essentially took the booze out and didn't bother to put anything back in in its place. And digging further into tea uh, in terms of its astringent and bittering quality, thinking about the uh, acidic base yielded by vinegars. Um, so there's uh, a handful of things out there that have been really influential to my own thinking and even being able to craft some, if I may be so bold, half-decent zero-proof drinks on the fly. Just knowing that like, just in the same way you might instinctually go, oh, well, maybe I'll put whiskey or gin or whatever in this drink, realizing, okay, uh, I'm on the fly now crafting this. Okay, if I don't have that, what what vinegars or what uh, other bittering agents do I have to yield a, a little bit of that bite in that body to a drink potentially? Something else I think is important out there for the lay person too um, is, and I had this conversation with the aforementioned uh, Tim Wiggins, is that uh, and uh, Dave Gretman, uh, who's his uh, head bartender over at Lazy Tiger in the Central West End, that I was talking to them about some recipes uh, in books, but even more particularly online. And I was like, you know, because uh, a lot of times I'll ask people, I'm having trouble getting this drink to taste appropriately. And I've had both Tim and Dave agreed with me, or, or they said, in which was kind of an epiphany for me, that even on sometimes very, very established websites, like, I can't believe sometimes that like the lack of quality control that goes into um, examining recipes before they're posted online. So, you know, a bartender with a great PR agent gets picked up by a syndicated publication, but nobody ever actually takes the time to sit down and go, 
does this drink actually check out? It doesn't mean that the drink is necessarily going to be bad, but that a lot of times things that are getting published are, um, are frankly just, um, they're not really fully dialed in or uh, they might be put out by a spirits company and therefore they're leaning very heavily on their products because they're looking to promote their stuff. So that doesn't necessarily give you a great uh, uh, direction of where to look, but just a general cautionary tale that um, all things on the web, obviously, uh, are, do not always uh, pass muster in that regard. When it comes to like looking forward, as we often do at the end of the year, what am I looking forward to next year? Well, so by the time you are listening to this, I should hopefully uh, or will be about to get on a plane to Mexico for uh, to spend uh, Christmas there with my brother and sister-in-law and a couple of their friends. But one of the things we're going to do down there is we're going to tour a, uh, a Ricea distillery. And so Ricea is a cousin of the Agave family. And so I'm going to get to go up to a still and kind of see how uh, Mezcal and its uh, uh, cousin spirit, more in particular, are are made. And so Ricea is really something that is um, kind of more uh, qualifying outside the grounds of Mezcal based on where it's produced, how it's produced, but is very, very similar in that that approach. I'm also looking forward to diving more into sherry and other fortified wines. Uh, Just last night, I had some Madeira, which comes from the island of Madeira off the coast of Portugal. And uh, these wines are just very fascinating with how they are produced and in the spectrum of flavor. Uh, a lot of bartenders out there really, really like sherry, and yet I find that so few people uh, have any real grasp for how sherry works in drinks. And so I'm interested to further my own knowledge into sherry with the hopes of passing on to you, how do you think about if you get a bottle and put it on your shelf, whether it's a really dry Fino or Manzanilla sherry versus a very sweet Pedro Jimenez or something in between how do you properly use that as opposed to just look at it or be scouring the internet for that? Because it seems like something that is uh, very far afield to the average person because I'm very new to it myself, and yet I'm a lot deeper in the pool than some people. Uh, this is an area where I'm also very open to feedback right here, but a thing I have been thinking about are... Um, I'm very fortunate that after a lot of my classes are over, that people are often thinking like, man, like this is great. Uh, I want to do this again. But coordinating to get me back to your home, place of business, etc., takes work and it takes money. And so what are the pre-taped options or other venues in which I could provide people learnings or other guides to kind of think about stuff. I've been thinking about classes that could be like, you know, uh, a class on sherry or a pre-taped class on, you know, drinks guaranteed to impress your date. Uh, you know, uh, uh, what to buy, you know, uh, four drinks for the bourbon lover in your life, you know, whatever. And so I've been thinking more about how do I keep passing on my knowledge and the reinforcement of you can do this uh, when I'm not there with you. So I feel like that ties into figuring out more this idea of um, learning how to better describe ingredients, whether we're talking about whiskey and orange liqueur uh, or bitters. uh, An analogy I'm starting to think about is if you open your refrigerator and you see 
you know, sriracha sauce, you see uh, spinach, whatever, you immediately think, okay, spinach, uh, am I putting that in a smoothie? Am I making, is it going in an omelet? Am I putting it in a salad? You see your sriracha, okay, am I, am I putting it on my eggs? Am I putting it on tacos? But when we see a bottle of orange liqueur or a bottle of lavender bitters, we don't have the same thought process. We just see it and it's this enigma and we're waiting for a recipe to drop in out of the sky. And the more I think that you can look at bottles and understand how do I wield this, and recipes are wonderful and there's no reason not to keep digging for them, but how do you better on the fly know how to grab a bottle of Grand Marnier or grab a bottle of absinthe and go, okay, here's how I'm going to just start experimenting, um, et cetera, without having to have that uh, comfort of that recipe there. As uh, Demetrius Cain said to me at one point, hopefully I'm, I'm probably paraphrasing, paraphrasing a little bit, but I think it's him saying, you know, the idea that uh, you've got to be willing to waste four or five ounces of something. And so this is where you don't buy the most expensive stuff when you're making a cocktail. But ultimately, you've got to be willing to experiment a little bit. Otherwise, we're never going to learn anything. So being an end of the gear podcast, I did want to have a couple of things for those of you uh, looking for last minute gifts for people. Um, but also perhaps could be something, uh, a nice gift for later or just something even to buy yourself whenever. So a couple of things that are worth considering. Uh, books for the beginner or aspiring cocktail person. Uh, a book that I've messed around with a little bit that my brother is very uh, loyal to is a book called Three Ingredient Cocktails by Robert Simonson. And uh, what I like about it is very easy to flip through. And as the name uh, will say on it, uh, it is very, very simple in terms of all the drinks are three ingredients. And so some of them you obviously won't have on your shelf, but at least you're not going to stumble upon some eight or 10 ingredient drink where you're like, okay, well, that's never happening right there. If you're looking for something to make more of just an impression on a person, um, another great book you could look at is uh, The Office, which is from the Aviary Group out of Chicago. And this is their book on classic cocktails. So in it, you're going to see daiquiris and aviations, sidecars, uh, uh, Manhattans, etc. But it comes in a extremely beautiful leather-bound book, um, beautiful photography. And so it's the kind of thing that if you hand someone, uh, it's going to make a statement. And so uh, Three Ingredient Cocktails is a little more, uh, it's still well done, uh, but it is uh, the sex appeal on it is not as high as in the office. Uh, finally, I'm going to recommend, even though I'm still brand new to the book, uh, I just have so much faith in the team at Death & Co. They have a new book called uh, Welcome Home, and it's essentially how they would train a bartender. And with uh, you in mind, they have built a book of like, how do you begin to train yourself up at home? Um, the one thing, I, one knock I would give it, and maybe this is beneficial for some people, is I, I'm told there are 600 recipes in the book, which is, in my opinion, about uh, you know 550 too many, um, give or take, just because I think that number is overwhelming. But uh, their books are wonderful learning tutorials. I often find. So for people who are getting more serious into things, I have a couple things, and so the first one 
almost always on all bartenders lists and as a follow-up to the last recommendation um death and co's modern classic cocktail book is um it is uh, a large tome as well just like welcome home but it really breaks down uh, at a more technical level for uh, someone who is in the bar business or looking to get into the bar business they really dive deep into things so what i would say about the original book is um, I know a lot of people who have put it down because it was too detailed for them, but I think it's a wonderful thing to learn from if you're really getting serious about things. Uh, a couple things I'd also recommend, and I've mentioned them probably here and there this year, uh, and while they don't necessarily come equipped with recipes, the Flavor Matrix and Flavor Bible books are really interesting for understanding pairings and balancing flavors to understand and kind of be guided to this idea of uh, if there's an ingredient that you're suddenly interested in, whether it's, I want to put chocolate in a cocktail or I want to put whatever. The Flavor Matrix um, and Flavor Bible, um, and the Flavor Bible is probably a better place to start, but, you know, it'll talk about like, okay, uh, peppermint pairs well. It'll talk about, you know, uh, coffee pairs well or, or, or caramel, whatever. But it gives you an idea of if there are things you like where do you begin to reach for it? And just as importantly, uh, the opening pages, I think, are very beneficial because it reminds us how flavor actually works, that a huge percentage of it, 80% uh, by some estimates, 80% of flavor comes from uh, aroma. And so the importance of that garnish or how a drink presents depends on how it smells in a way. Um, but it'll get you thinking more about mouthfeel, um, spiciness, all of these things, if you really want to dive deeper into the pool. Finally, um, and I mentioned this earlier, I read, I read Finding Mezcal by Ron Cooper. Um, Ron Cooper is the founder of the, uh, the group, um, oh, I'm going to blank now. Del McGay is the Mezcal company. And I, I heard somebody take a shot at the company recently, so I don't know if like their uh, comp practices have compromised, been compromised, but... Um, great book on understanding like just absolute labor involved in creating many of these uh, agave spirits and just how deep in the hills some of them are. I think a great analogy here, and there is some also because some of these stills then and now are illegal, um, but there's actually a big um, uh, analogy here to uh, American Moonshine in a way too. Um, so just a fascinating book and a book that will also really break out for you um, the variety and flavor based on the fact that I'm really beginning to understand like how many microclimates there are uh, in Mexico, as an example. Um, moving away from books for just to kind of wrap things up, um, Craft Ice is a very unique holiday gift. Uh, now or in the future, um, giving somebody large format ice, and obviously you, you can do these in molds at home. You can also um, have you can also purchase them, um, and so I've I've had the chance to kind of, and you will hear in the podcast uh, when I interview uh, Drew, Drew Dubray of Nice Ice STL. You know, kind of the process of making large format ice, but also the other day I had the uh, fortune with a client to actually embed their logo inside of a cube, and so makes for a very, very unique gift. Um, and so that could be for a client, it could be for a friend or family member, etc.
So the final thing that I will bring up, um, because I feel like it's the easiest place to start with it, is uh, one ingredient that I've been blown away by so far is um, black walnut. Uh, is kind of very native to, uh, in particular, to Missouri and the climate we have here, Missouri and Arkansas, I believe. But um, I have made black walnut syrups, which are also called an orgeat. So basically, I will take uh, almond, black, black walnuts, excuse me, black walnuts and blend them up with water to basically create black walnut milk. It's the same way you would actually create almond milk from scratch. You strain it, and then you add some sugar to it, and you basically have this incredible black walnut orgeat. It is so good, guys. So good. Um, you can also infuse uh, black walnut into a spirit, like whiskey. So you take like a cup of a half cup of, of black walnuts, put it into a cup of, um, uh, you know, to a half bottle of whiskey. Um, and there's a little bit of nuance in there, and so I can I can post some details around that in the show notes, and everything will be in the show notes, by the way. But an easy place to start, because black walnut is just so aromatic, is there are black walnut bitters out there on the market. And really, really a perfect uh, gift for a whiskey or a brandy a lover in your life. Uh, be wonderful on an old-fashioned or boozy drink. Uh, also would sit well on top of a whiskey sour as an example. But um, black walnut bitters would be great. So I think uh, 20-something minutes uh, is enough of a recap for you, but I just would like to again say thank you to everybody out there. Um, it's been uh, a fun uh, and challenging year. Um, bringing this podcast to life has been uh, a lot of fun as well, and so I want to thank people for their support around it. And uh, yeah, I will look forward to uh, being in touch with you guys in the new year. Um, please. Uh, there's things you want to see me dig into. I'd love to hear from you guys. So until then, uh, have a very nice holiday season and happy new year, everybody. See you soon. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you liked the interview, the transcript and show notes are located at decodingcocktails.com slash podcast. The Decoding Cocktails podcast is produced by Chris Bay and myself, Chris LeBeau. Subscribe to avoid missing an episode, and if you think this is good stuff, share it with a friend or review us on your listening platform. And check out our newsletter, Cocktail Confidential. Remember, the best way to get better at mixology is to practice. And the best way to do that is in the company of friends and family. Happy cocktailing, everybody. Happy cocktailing, everybody.